Welcome to the Unstoppable Grit Podcast, where we dive into the mindset shifts and practical tools to help you break through the roadblocks standing between you and achieving your goals. I'm your host, Danielle Kobo, a former Fortune 500 senior sales manager who spent 15 years in the medical device industry and now the best-selling author of the book, Unstoppable Grit. Think of this podcast as your go-to source for career advice and burnout prevention strategies to help you build a career and life you love. Now let's get started. Want to unlock the door to powerful action, even when it's not easy? In this episode, discover the power of a can-do mindset. Harness your inner motivation to break barriers and take action, even when you don't feel like it. Learn how to cultivate an inspiring team culture that encourages fresh thinking, innovation, and positive change. Today's guest is Denise Gable, an international bestselling author, professional speaker, and mentor of The Power of Change. During her tenure as the Chief Innovation Officer of Filing Research Institute, she led the prestigious I3, Ideas, Innovation, and Implementation program throughout the United States and Canada. Most recently, Denise served as a Chief Operating Officer at the Northwestern Credit Union Association. Throughout her professional career, she has embraced and inspired others to embrace living with a can-do mindset. Denise, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Our paths have crossed in a multiple levels. Most recently, when I joined the National Speaker Association and I got to meet you, which has been such a pleasure. And I'm excited to have you today. You have a unique background, most recently as a chief innovation officer. You've had a lot of chief titles. So tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into becoming a can duologist. Oh, gosh. Danielle, thank you for having me on the show. And it was delightful to meet you in person and now to experience something virtual. Oh, yes. I've had some great corporate jobs. And with a corporate job, you got to ask for a good title. Chief Innovation Officer is one that I actually asked. I think the job was posted as a director of innovation. I thought, oh, no, I need to be a chief. It's time to have a chief. Basically, that was for a think tank that serves the U.S. and Canadian credit unions. And just a wonderful opportunity to bring together people and possibilities. Just a great opportunity to bring together people and possibilities. We basically took innovation competency, introduced it to groups of volunteers, set them free to create some ideas, and then put them in a lab to see if they could actually survive and scale to reach consumers. I think my job as a chief innovation officer was really to understand the methodology for innovation, where creativity comes from, how to keep it nurtured. And I learned so much there about the power of volunteers and what volunteers really can do. That was a fun job, that chief innovation officer. And then I realized my gift has been given. And that's a chapter in the Can Do Mindset book. It's a chapter about when it's time to fire your own ego. Your gift has been given. You know it. This is not the time that you wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder. You get out of the way. You allow others to stretch and grow, and then you continue to stretch and grow. I think your second part of that question was, how did I become a can Yes, I want to know, because you've had the opportunity to, as you said, observe this think tank and watch people flourish and create ideas and innovation. And what did you learn from your observations that led you into creating this 
framework to this can-do approach? I think it was learning that if you just model and show people what we can do and stretch each other, there's a lot more that's possible. It's thinking more in gratitude. It's thinking more in abundance. That if there's abundance, we really just have to prioritize the opportunities. And for all those people that say, oh yeah, we tried that and it didn't work. Okay, well, a good response to them is, is it bad to try and improve service? Are we wrong to make it a better place to work? Comments like that shake people where they have to say, no, then why can't we try? What can we do? Now, the word canduologist and this notion of canduology that I'm releasing to the universe so we can all own it and put more can in this world, less cannot. I actually was challenged to write my obituary. I don't know. Have you done that, Danielle? I have. I have done that exercise. It's actually an exercise. Do I do encourage some of the clients I'm working with or in some of the programs I work with? But I want to hear your experience when you wrote your obituary. It was very impactful. Mm -hmm. First of all, I will tell you and your listeners, the timing wasn't great. My soulmate of 38 years, Dennis and Denise. Yep, Dennis and Denise. But Dennis developed a brain bleed and passed away. About six months later, I'm working with Mark Levy, my branding coach. And Mark says, Denise, I want to give you this assignment. I want you to write your obituary. And I said, oh, yeah, that timing is not good. And then I almost immediately said, I can try. And if I can't do it, I'll just tell you I can't do it. Or I'll just stop. But I'll try. It was through that process that I was writing, and I don't know if I misunderstood the assignment, but I used it going forward and said, oh, Denise went on to inspire millions of people and her love for people and possibilities, her love for bling and leopard manifested itself into an accessory line for your home and your person. And then I remembered this letter and an excerpt of this letter that Karina wrote me when I left my last corporate job. I thought, yeah, I should put an excerpt in my obituary. And in her words, she said, Denise, your guts, your can-do, your commitment to leadership, particularly women, is so inspiring. Thank you for living your brand, Denise, so I could live mine. And that has meant the world to me. So I put it in the obituary. Then I put that I'm going to die at the age of 102, surrounded by my nieces and nephews. I will still be in good mental and physical health. I'll still have my humor. And finally, my driver's license will match my real weight. I'm reading this to my branding coach. And when I said the words out loud, Denise, you're can-do, I was I just stopped. And I said, that's it. I'm a can-doer. I don't know anything else. And I've been preparing for this my entire life. I can look back and all the times that nobody else would raise their hand to be a the tasty dog in the hometown parade. That goes a ways back, but I did. I thought, well, somebody needs to do it. I can. It was that moment that I blurted out, I'm a can-doer. I'm a can-doologist. And can-doology is a thing. It is the art and science of getting the right things done, not things right, the right things done, despite the circumstances. And that's really how it was born, is just through this exercise and You've done it too. And if listeners haven't done it, it is so powerful to think about what are your fingerprints, footprints, voice when you leave this earth? Yeah, I did that exercise and it was powerful. And I did it from a two different type of perspectives. One from 
my kids' perspective. And it was right after I had lost my mom. And I said, I wrote the obituary. I said, if my kids are going to be celebrating my life, what do I want them to say about me? Anytime that I am questioning my approach on parenting or getting down on myself or just kind of want to recheck myself, I always go back to that obituary and say, again, what do I want my kids to say about me when they're celebrating my life? And ultimately, that's to me, it's always come back. You have that can do. My word that came out of both the obituary for my kids, as well as from, I wrote one from an employee's perspective, like my team's perspective. What came out of that was the word impact. I want to make an impact on people's lives, whether I've met them or not, whether it's through speaking or programs, through one-on-one consulting, whether it's through sharing content on LinkedIn, social media, or a podcast, no matter what it is, it's about making a positive impact in their lives. So that's what came out of that exercise. And I do agree with you for our listeners. If you haven't done it, I get it. It's uncomfortable. It's a unique approach to identifying what your core values are, but it's obviously very powerful. Very powerful. I found it more encouraging, more clarity around my purpose. Yes, absolutely. Didn't you? I mean, then more than a lot of things or an exercise specifically to define purpose. I thought, well, no, this is a good look back. And when you are touched in your life by grief and it hits a little closer to home, the further we go down the journey, you do realize, oh my gosh, what is my purpose? And am I living on purpose? And am I living quickly? We're all in line. We just don't know when. It helped me immensely. And that's really when I thought, oh my gosh, can duology, more can this universe, less cannot. What uncovered from this purpose of yours from doing this exercise was this can do methodology, this can duologist. What have you found if somebody's running into that roadblock? Because I've heard those phrases exactly what you said. We've always done this. It doesn't work. And that's resistant. And resistant happens whether it's professionally or personally. What advice would you give to those who are saying, I don't know, maybe I've got somebody on my team that just does not have that mindset, don't, not sure even how to approach it. Or I find myself continuously hitting this roadblock of saying those phrases that we exactly just said. What advice would you give for them to adopt this can-do mindset? First, let's tackle the first part, a coworker or someone in your work environment or someone in your community. You're not talking about you, but you're talking about someone else. They might tend to be a little more of an Eeyore. Okay, well, can-do and a can-do mindset is not going to save a true Eeyore. You cannot. And so sometimes the best thing you can do for that person, yourself, in your organization, is to part ways because there's a beautiful fit for everyone in this universe. Sometimes we don't always land that first one is not our true place, our true purpose. Realize that, that sometimes you're not going to change the DNA of a person. You may have to say goodbye. Here's something you can do. You don't even need a pen. Listeners don't even need a pen to write this down because we'll practice it three times over. This is what you say to that person. What can we do? You're basically giving them a lashing of can do. You're going to say it over and over and over for that person. Like, no, we tried that. We can't do No, years ago, we had this guy. You just keep repeating. Well, what can we do? You're going to rock them out of that rhythm where they enable something to say, well, I guess that was 10 years ago. I guess we could try it again. Wonderful, right? You're going to break that or you're going to head down a path of departure. That's my advice on others. 
for me, I think about my can-do mindset. It is with me all the time. It isn't always as active as it should be. When I run into those walls, I get stuck. I get frustrated. I'm overcome with grief. I'm overwhelmed with something. What I do and recommend is that you shift to a neutral. It is unlikely that people shift from a positive. Well, I think you can shift quickly from a positive to a negative. Unfortunately, I don't think you can shift as easily from negative to positive. I recommend you find your neutral. Like what brings you joy? I can go out and go shopping. I can take a nap. I can take a bath. I can go out and buy three new colored pens to feed my pen fetish. And suddenly I found my neutral where I can be re-energized, where I can kind of reset myself, where I can find some safety. And then I can shift myself over into active can-do mindset. I've always got it. It's a matter of how much I decide and when to activate it. Does that help? Yes. What I first heard you say when you were talking about when you run into the situation where somebody else is in that cannot attitude, we've always done this before by asking them, what can we do? You're encouraging for them to come up with a solution, not necessarily what's not working. Why is this not working? You're encouraging them, inviting them to the conversation and say, okay, what can we do? And encouraging them to come up with a solution. Yes. I like that. And it's okay for people to say, and you want that transparency with one another. Hey, I got to say, this doesn't work. This isn't working. Thank Mm -hmm. you for calling it out, right? That's not bad. That's actually very good and healthy. And you want to make that turn into solutions. Acknowledging. No one has unlimited resources. Haven't met anybody yet that's got unlimited time, unlimited money. So it's like, yeah, we only have two weeks and $500 for the project. That's a fact. What can we do? And then actually in the world of innovation, that's actually better because those constraints make us more creative. You're creating that think tank. Yep. Where full circle, you created the think tank. Full circle, you've got to get creative. Yep. Yeah. And you know, one thing I remember about that job too, that applies to CanDoology is trust and accountability, two hard stop standards for can-doers and can-doologists. We have to have trust in ourselves, very deep trust in ourselves and our accountability. And then we expect that of others, trust and accountability. And then based on that, when we have that, imagine this conversation, and you've probably had it with people that you deeply trust or your listeners have. Imagine saying to someone, that's all you got? Is that your best work? That was one of my favorite parts of that chief job or whether it was the chief innovation or the chief operating officer, we had developed relationships with one another that you can say, is this your best work? Someone be honest and say, well, it's good work. It is good work. And you need to take it up a notch. You're fully capable. And just challenge each other. I love it when people challenge me. What can I do better? What can I do differently? Are you feeling burnt out and overwhelmed? Want to advance your career or find a new job? Maybe you want to build an impactful and profitable business. I left a highly successful Fortune 500 sales career to help people develop the grit, resilience, and courage necessary to thrive in a complex and changing market. In the show notes, you will find free workbooks with tips and strategies for attracting your dream job, advancing your career, preventing burnout, and building a business. Take advantage of your free workbook by downloading it now. 
And when you asked, I want to hone in on this too. When you said, is that all you got? Come on. Like what I'm seeing, I know our listeners, communication is everything from the words we use, the tone of voice we use to the body language. So I know that our listeners are not actually seeing what I'm seeing. She's tilting her head. She's leaning (laughs) into the conversation. She's smiling. I'm seeing this bright, beautiful, radiant smile. And it's that influx in the voice that's higher. Very different if I had said, is that all you can do? And it's like a drop in the tone of voice versus is that all you can do? And that higher inflection changes the outcome on the perception on what we're communicating. Very much so. Gosh, that's a great point that I'm reflecting back now that you're saying that because it's like reach higher. That's actually what you're trying to say, right? Reach deeper, reach higher, reach to your full potential, stretch yourself. And you're right. If your voice drops up, that's it. That's what you got. Really? I do not feel motivated to try and do my best work. I just feel like I got beat up and you're not grateful. Voice inflection, full communication with everything you've got, depending on your medium, is what you want to be using. Great point. Very sound advice. So I loved how you said, whether you are leading a team or whether it's yourself individually, these are some steps that we can take to adopt this can-do mindset, this approach in our everyday lives. Yeah. Here's the other thing about this can-do mindset. My dream was to create a book that was very conversational and I had to work at it. I initially started a boring leadership book, Denise's definition. I really did. I could feel it wasn't really my voice, but I didn't also know how to fix it. I just thought for some reason I started in the five key principles when leading a team. And then I thought, oh gosh, Denise, that's so not you. I can understand this a hundred percent. You really, when you're writing a book, you got to dig deep into how do you let your personality shine through words? Yes. And in my case, I don't know how you have done it, Danielle, but once again, this is a new phrase, a can duet. You form partnerships that can help you and you ask for help, which can be foreign. And I asked for help. And I said, I know this is a boring leadership book in its tone. And the person said, you're right. What I did to shake me out of that is I'm very good at case studies and live questions. Just ask me a question. I love the live audience. What do you got? What would you like? I had another colleague write me case studies. XYZ company, mid-size, manager leaves, new manager comes in, says he's all about teamwork, and in fact, just the opposite. What do I do? And I just started writing and answering the question. Once I got my muscle built a little bit better on just answering, and it just happened to be words, or I did a lot of speech to text also, because it was easier for me to just speak my personality, my authenticity and then have it transcribed. Once I got the rhythm, I thought, oh good, now I have a book in my voice that's conversational. It'll just ooze my enthusiasm for people and possibilities. And I'll put tools in the book that people can use right here, right now. And I have to tell you, a couple weeks ago, I was on the video with a group of people in Pennsylvania that decided to do a book club around this book. I'm so honored. I popped in and they're on chapter nine and we just had a conversation. I don't recall what chapter nine was. Terrible. And I want to pull my book out. Chapter nine. Anyway, we're having this wonderful conversation. And then they did a real life case study. How do you get some improvements to like a project management process? Because you get in corporate or small entrepreneur, small business, you have all these goals. Everything sounds good. The world's ticking along and you get to November and you're like, who did this? 
who set this many priorities? And then you have to look at yourself or your leadership team and say, we did. We did it to ourselves. How can we make some improvements? Anyway, we're going through this. And what we discovered together, myself and this wonderful group of colleagues in Pennsylvania on their book club journey, we discovered that what we came up with took no training. It's the way they're going to approach the project. They're going to be very clear. They're going to say, good morning. We're kicking off a project to remodel our project management system. They didn't say, we're going to review our project management system. Just that one verb. We're going to remodel. We're going to pick three items. We're going to get those items by doing this. We're going to be clear on that. And at the end of that conversation together about how can-do tools would help them, I asked them, do you need a week or a month to teach this to everyone in your organization? And they all had a funny look on their faces and said, no. And I said, that's the beauty of the can-do mindset. This is not something that you have to slow down, train people around you, because you're going to start to use can-do language. doesn't need any training. It needs a habit to be more built in some than others. It needs to be harnessed. But the beauty of it is you don't have to stop the bus and do a massive training program so that next year you can have an organization with a better can-do mindset. No, get started. You taught them how to be very concise, laser-focused, and talk about also the goal and the outcome, not always caught up in the how. For so often when people get into these presentations, well, our goal is X, Y, Z, and this is how we're going to do it. I remember our national sales meetings, my team would come back with probably, here's the 20 initiatives that we're going to do. And so I'd say, okay, our first team call, we're going to sit down and we're going to say, what are the top three? And do all of these initiatives apply to your specific territory? Because in sales, every territory was different. So what are the overarching where it makes sense to implement these initiatives across the board? And could we maybe customize some or take some and apply it to one territory that we may not apply as much to the other territory? But if you're given 20 initiatives to do, and this is how you do it, you create overwhelm. And that's often what would happen when people would leave from a national sales meeting. So it's about being laser focused, concise. This is the ultimate goal. This is what we're going to do. And then working together in that think tank. Yeah, and who's responsible? And then get out of the way. And there's a framework for that. It's in the book. It's called the 3D model for communication. Define, design, deliver. Don't skip those steps. But they don't have to be complicated. If your only thing as a leader is the budget's $5,000, no crock pots because we had a fire last time, then that's it. You really don't want more how outlined than that because that just shuts down the opportunity for people to use their gift and their creativity. So you inadvertently think you're helping the team, but in a sense, you're actually shutting it down. So yeah, I agree with you. And coming back with a list of 27 action items, that's not energizing to me. No, it creates more overwhelm than anything. No. I'll go ahead and include for our listeners, I'll include the link to your book so that Everybody that's listening can learn how to, again, take the steps that we've talked about today, but also tap into a lot of the resources that Denise talks about in her book. And I'll include the link in the show notes. And we're so grateful that you were able to join the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Grit podcast with Danielle Cobo. If you found today's episode resonating and inspiring, 
kindly take a moment to craft a review. Your review holds the potential for Apple and Spotify to share the Unstoppable Grit podcast with others. Furthermore, consider extending the ripple effect by sharing this episode with those around you, family, friends, colleagues, and anyone who could benefit from the insights and stories shared here. Also, be sure to visit daniellecobo.com for more resources on cultivating resilience and unleashing your inner grit. We'll be back soon with another empowering episode. Until then, be unstoppable.